This is O Ship, the show where experts and leaders look back at their biggest moments of failure just so you can avoid making them. And there is no one better to squeeze the naked truth out of our charismatic guests than your host, Chameleon Collective Founding Partner, Freddie Laker. Hey everyone, and welcome to another week of O Ship. This week, I've got another very special guest on called Alexa Von Tobel. Now, if you haven't heard about Alexa before, she was the founder and CEO of LearnVest, which was a financial planning company that was actually sold to Northwestern Mutual. So she's an admirable entrepreneur and leader in her own right. But she's also the founder and managing partner of Inspired Capital. I love this concept of Inspired. You'll notice today that she is a leader that has a lot of empathy, is all about inspiration, about inspiring uh, the companies that she invests in, and sharing inspiration with others. She does that through things uh, like her own podcast that she has called the Inc. Founders Project, where she listens to inspiring tales from key people behind some of the today's uh, leading technology companies. She's had guests on like the founders of Credit Karma, Robinhood, and Slack. So seriously giving me a run for my money. And if you haven't checked out her podcast, it's, it's really exceptional. Today, we're going to actually talk about a subject uh, about empathy. And so I was inspired by a blog post that she wrote about what it means effectively to lead with empathy. So at its core, this is about the ability to understand and share the feelings of another person. And I think we're going to find out today uh, what she thinks makes leading with empathy great. And maybe you can reflect on your own leadership abilities and decide if you lead with empathy as well. With that, we're going to jump in to another week of OSHIP. Alexa, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Hi, Freddie. How's it going? Going great. A good big wave. I love that. A classic O-Ship uh, style. Alexa just decided to respond to me welcoming you to the show. This is great. Love technology. <laughs> so, Alexa, I had the chance to, to you know, get to know you through a mutual friend. I would love for you to introduce yourself to our audience uh, and share a little bit more of your background. Sure. Um, so first of all, our dear friend that we have in common, Greg, is amazing. So I'm an entrepreneur. I grew up in Florida. I went to Harvard undergrad for college and then that's when I think I really realized I was an entrepreneur and ended up after college helping build. I was part of a company that got acquired by Facebook and Mark Zuckerberg is my classmate. So like truly seeing the wave of innovation that took place at that time is just fascinating. Then I went back to Harvard Business School where nights and weekends, I'd already been working on a company for about a year called LearnVest. Ended up uh, Lehman Brothers went under, it was the fall of 2008. And I said, this is the exact best time on the planet to go launch a business. And I did, which is in retrospect, a crazy thing to do, but it just felt actually really right. Ended up building LearnVest into TurboTax for financial planning for the masses. Very hard business to build, but ended up um, building a successful business that had an exit. We sold for about $375 million to Northwest Mutual. And it really kind of showed me what's really possible with innovation. On the flip side, I then started doing a ton of angel investing. I'd already published a New York Times bestselling book. I'd become a certified financial planner. And as somebody who likes investing, I actively started doing a ton of angel investing and got fortunate to invest in some of your best companies of the last decade. And then from there, I basically said, I want to go build the venture fund that I wish existed for me. And we're uh, a fund here in New York City called Inspired Capital. Uh, we invest in the founders of tomorrow. And what's unique about us is 
between our partnership, we've built and scaled about 10 different businesses. So it's just a very different DNA. We know how to build, we're comfortable with the hard challenges. As you know, companies are miserably hard to build. They have so many challenges. And that's our favorite part of life is that, is helping build companies outside of our families. And so that's what we do. So that's Inspired Capital. And then I'm a normal human. I'm married, I have little kids. So COVID has been so interesting on so many levels. Being a parent with little people on Zoom school. Um, and so, you know, uh, that's me in a nutshell. And you know, I love that you commented earlier that you thought 2008 was the, the best time, you know, to start a, a new company. Uh, you know, they say there's great opportunity in periods of great, op, uh, you know, disruption. For the record, I had sold uh, my second business right before the shit hit the fan. Uh, that year and i kind of considered myself very fortunate uh not by the way for any lack of for science just kind of pure luck what what made you think that 2008 was kind of the perfect time to to go out and do something like this i actually think when when things are really hard when companies are managing layoffs when money is scarce one it it sharpens your your toolkit and your pencils as a founder so everything you do you have to get right the other thing is it actually gives employers a, you know, new ideas, actually a lot of leverage. You are a place where people can show up to work. There is more talent floating around because there's been a lot of layoffs. And so actually in some weird ways, as much as you're, as long as the founder has the courage to go build, if you can build and thrive in those early stages, you actually have a lot of benefits and it's survival of the fittest. Mm. Build a business in that and get it up and off the ground. There's less competition. There's more talent looking for jobs as opposed to right now where there's talent has their choice and money is everywhere. And I think, you know, I worry about some of the decisions founders make when they have too much money and um, the lack of focus. So it's just a very different time. Yeah. I get a little bit of that exposure to seeing what's happening right now with people throwing around too much money, as you as you pointed out. And uh, yeah, I do think some poor decisions are being being made bluntly. I have to ask, what was your first leadership role? Was it was it this kind of company coming out of you know the, the kind of Facebook time or was it something before that? No, actually, it's funny. When I was in sixth grade, I changed schools. I literally went from one school to the next. Yeah. Um, that was like the only time I changed schools in my life. And I was two or so weeks in and I ran for class president. So like, I didn't know, I knew like nobody and I won. And so I actually was class president, sixth grade. And that was like a formal leadership role is probably one of my first, but no, I think I've told her brothers, I think I've always been really comfortable having to like rally people and yeah. put plans in place. And so, yeah, so no. I, and then after sixth grade, many other leadership roles followed uh, formally in school and beyond. You know, sometimes people laugh about this stuff, but I feel like these formative early stage uh, roles can have a huge, profound impact on you. Uh, you know, I guess you could have uh, could have said you could have gone on, on the uh, politician path. Is there is there any other job you would have uh, done if you hadn't uh, gone down the path you did now? I mean, I really do believe in service. I absolutely believe if you are fortunate to have talents, like I, I grew up in a family of doctors and nurses. My two older brothers are both doctors, and I think I just was the name Alexa literally means helper of mankind. Um, that's why Amazon named it the Alexa. And so I think just not only like how my parents thought about raising me, the environment I grew up in of everybody in my family, very much so focused on community and helping and aiding others. And I think I have that core value system. It just has now really played out in innovation and technology and building businesses that can do that at scale and you know employ millions of people or at least tens of thousands of people, not millions. And so 
I think if I wasn't doing this job, I could absolutely see myself doing something in public service. It's not ruled out at some point I would want to do that. But right now I have three little kids under the age of six. I'm running, you know, now a very sizable venture fund. And so just really focus on what is directly in front of me and doing a really, really good job. I take when we commit to doing something, doing an exceptional job very seriously. And so I kind of feel like I have my plate cut out for me right now before I can think about what's next. Yeah, you sound like you've uh, got a hell of a lot on your plate, uh, frankly. Uh, You've got some pretty obvious uh, successes out there, which is, again, wonderful and and hats off to you again. Have you got any failures, uh, notable failures, or even if they're private failures you're comfortable talking about? Yeah. I mean, uh, my big brother and I just joke that we've literally failed our way to the top. And that's not like me being humble. You know, I've said this in the past. I don't think there's anything especially unique about me, uh, except that I have just always found comfort in hard work. So I, I think my point is there have been a long list of failures. And somebody who I'd gone to college with who ends up coming to work at LearnVest, who's a brilliant woman, um, she said, Alexa, people always ask me what it's like to work with you. And I said, well, what do, what do you say? What is it like to work with me? And she said that this quote that I'll never forget. She said, you get punched in the face every day and you sometimes don't even know it. And I think what she meant by that is like, I actually experience failure many times a day. And I'm like, next, next. And it just, I, I don't know if I've built an armor. I don't know if I've naturally been comfortable believing in my own thoughts and just running at things. I, I don't quite know what it's come from. So my point of that is like, all the time, people are like, no, don't like it. It's not going to happen. No, thank you. I'll get you next time. Like, don't like that idea. And at LearnVest, there was tons of talent that I loved too quick to go do something else or, I mean, so much. And I think if I ever wallowed too much in any of those failures, of course, you couldn't get up, you couldn't get out of bed, you couldn't get back to work. And I think I've just recognized that the number one way to be successful is to like dig in and lean in and shoulder in and make lemons uh, turn into lemonade. And I think in short, long list, long Plenty of people who said, no, thank you. I don't want to invest in your company. Plenty of people who didn't even understand what we were building. I mean, and and I just did my homework. So the one thing is I never was like completely untethered from reality. I'd done my homework. I believed there was a clear path. I was committed to making it happen. I believed in the mission of our business, which was to empower every American family with a financial plan. And that was that. That big goofy grin you see on my face as you're you're explaining your your take. I was like, I feel and share your your pain on this. I sometimes joke that I'm basically uh, too stupid to recognize I might fail. And that's why I think with entrepreneurs, you just, you know, people kind of keep going out there and and kind of going for it again. I also sometimes worry that people, maybe that the reason they don't go for stuff is because they're worried about being perceived as failures or showing that that they could fail. I'm at a point where I just, I don't really care if I, I fall down anymore because I know I can pick myself back up. Is that a feeling that you share? Is, is that is it kind of a similar way of looking at it? I also just think actually at the core of that is like, I don't get validation from other people. Yeah. I get validation from my actions. You know, obviously I care deeply about what my family and my best friends think. But I think my point is, you know, when I was dropping out of Harvard Business School, my classmates thought I was crazy. It wasn't cool. Like in the rearview mirror, everyone reveres how smart I was and it was so bold. At the time, Lehman Brothers had just gone under. The world economy was shutting down for the worst time in 81 years. It was quite terrifying to leave the like 
warm cocoon of Harvard Business School where jobs are guaranteed and you know where you're going was crazy. And I think it felt crazy. And at the time, I just had to trust my own value system of I've done the work. I know what I'm doing. I believe in what I'm doing. And not everybody can see the future that I can see. And I'm going to go will that future into existence. And so I think you have to be comfortable standing on your own two feet and sometimes standing alone. And actually, one of the traits we are really uh, focused on um, instilling in our children, my now six-year-old, but when she was three uh, in her tooth program, they all had to like vote for what the class should be named. And seven kids voted for, you know, dinosaur. And my daughter voted alone for the spaghetti. And we like framed <laughs> that because we were so proud that she was comfortable not having groupthink, doing her own thing, you know, standing out. And I think it's just a really important muscle to build, which is like consensus thinkers don't tend to be exponential thinkers. I love that. I love that you framed that as well. You know, one, one thing that's interesting, I think this is a, a good segue, you know, not needing to, uh, others to validate you and things like that. That doesn't mean, to your point, you're not listening to other people. It doesn't mean you're not having empathy and understanding. It just means you have the confidence to kind of, you know, go your own path. You know, on those ship, one of the things we we talk about a lot is kind of celebrating failure. I love that you're you're, you're aligned with that. I would argue that having experienced failure is a really key path to actually experiencing empathy or being able to empathize with other people and, and not living in a kind of a uh, cocoon or a bubble of everything, you know, being perfect. But, you know, today I really wanted to get your opinion on, you know, what do you think it means to lead with empathy? I mean, first of all, in the companies, uh, particularly now inspired that I'm building, I'm really focused on just one, like you've got to lead with vulnerability. And I'm sure everyone's seen just the last five years, we've really embraced Brene Brown and vulnerability. None of us are perfect. I actually think one of the great things about COVID is we've now gotten into people's homes. You're seeing their kids run through. You're seeing the full picture of who somebody is, you know, the 90s was the suit and the briefcase and like this polished veneer where everything looks right, but like probably one layer below is like the duck underneath the water. And I actually just feel like we're embracing this like messier work life. There's not a lot of boundaries. You try to figure that out. The whole person, you can be a great you know, teammate. You can be a great mom. You can be a great dad. You can be a great X, Y, Z. And I actually just think that as you lead with empathy, it's actually about like leading with the humanity of who people are and great people want to do great work. And actually work is really important for our psyche and um, being valued, doing things, using your talents, getting better, being challenged is really important for all of us. And in fact, people, when they retire at 70 are often feeling quite lost because like that challenge that we all love feels a part of you. And so I think when I think about leading with empathy, one, it's like, creating psychological safety. We don't expect you to be perfect. We don't expect you to have all the answers. And I think if I could have gone back and told my 22 year old self that, that would be the thing people always ask, like, what would you have told your 22 year old self? And I'd be like, it probably took me until about 26, 27, 28, where I was like, of course I don't have the answers. I'm 26. I've been working for the, for you know, for five years. Why would I have all the answers? And I actually think that comfort, it's a confidence though, with not having all the answers that I think is really important. And that's a little bit of how I think about leading with empathy. I want to go back uh, more specifically around the empathy question a second, but uh, one of the people watching the live stream right now, 
Uh, Kate French has asked, and I quote, Alexa, as a woman, do you ever face imposter syndrome? And if so, any tips for combating that negative self-talk? To be perfectly honest, Kate, and you know, I always try to just give people the most honest answers that I can, which is I think I've been so focused on doing the work. And if I have the work, the work gives me the confidence. And so what I mean by that is I haven't had, it's not that I haven't had self-doubt. It's just when I have self-doubt, I do the work. And then the work is what allows me to stand up and say, I'm extremely informed. I'm, And so I haven't experienced a ton of imposter syndrome. And if I have, it hasn't been meaningful enough. I, not to say I've never had it. It's just I don't have tons of really good memories of, of that. I've definitely had nights where I'm like, wow, is this not going to work? What if this doesn't work? Or I've worried about a specific situation. But I've, I think one of the things I've learned as a young person was to trust my comfort in doing the work. And again, it's another value system we try to give our kids, which is we celebrate our kids doing the hard work. We don't celebrate the outcomes. We celebrate the process. Good job reading and practicing reading today for three hours. Good job practicing piano. For me as an entrepreneur, good job writing your business plan and staying up hours and hours to make sure you had the right numbers because you can control the work. And if you can control the work, then the outcome is right behind it. And it doesn't mean you won't have some no's and all of that, but it's an input you can control. And so I I really like that as a, as an input and it's given me confidence as a result. Awesome. One of the things speaking of kind of transparency and, and openness uh, you mentioned in the article that you've written for, for fast company, this kind of, I think I won't be able to quote it at completely perfectly, but you said something to the effect of professionalism used to be defined as effectively keeping all of your personal life kind of behind closed doors. And that's what professionalism was defined as. And then in the last you know, years, in a, in a world where we're zooming into each other's uh, you know, living rooms or bedrooms or kitchens with three kids at home and everything else, that forced you to you know, get intimate with people in a very different way than we had before. Um, and I'd love to get your kind of um, take on that and, you know, how that's maybe changed the way you literally lead with empathy. You know, I, one of the things I'm so proud about, about the Inspired team, uh, you know, our, our venture fund is many people are juggling lots of important family things. And I think we just recognize so much that your humanity from your whole life is really important. It's a really, and by the way, our founders that come pitch us, they also have home lives. And I think just like doing a good job of making sure that it's not so separate, it actually gives people a lot of comfort that they also can have home lives. We all have them. So why are we pretending that they have to be in a little box that's perfectly organized? Because they're not, none of us are. And so what I find is actually, it just creates a connection, a more authentic friendship and better understanding of who our founders are. They know our families, we know theirs. Like it's, it's more fluid and it's delightful as a result. It's like you become you become closer to people. That's all. And I would just say, you know, I really like where this world is headed. And, you know, these stereotypes of like, if you're a working mom, you're actually not capable of doing X is obvious. Completely. <laughs> I, it, it's maddening. And I think actually the same thing applies to you know, the stereotypes that exist in all, all the other categories, too. There's so many stereotypes that we're just throwing apart. And I'm really proud of that. I think it's a really good thing. And so I think this more holistic self 
the other thing we know from self-actualization, if you get to be your whole self, whether that is, you know, I, I think so much that we've seen of just about, you know, a lot of the, the, the self-actualization of gay pride and all of these other, be your whole self. If you can be your whole self and show up every day, you just are better. You're happier. You're more whole. You can do a better job. You connect with people better. So I'm just really a big fan of people showing up their, their whole selves, whatever it looks like, and embracing it. And I think that that lets people do better work. And it's, it brings a lot of positivity as well. I'm uh, in alignment with you. And I think a lot of people will be surprised by this. But the last year for me, and I've been working, I've been working remotely for five years, I feel uh, more connected with my colleagues this year even than I did before. I personally think that um, our virtual company has the best culture of any company I've ever worked in. And, and maybe that I've never really thought about it through the lens that, you know, you're describing of like, you know, it's, it's like, it, it is quite intimate when you're kind of sitting, sitting, chatting with people at home every day. And, you know, you do hear people's uh, grandmothers, kids, wives, hell, half the time it could be just dealing with the quirks of the, you know, stuff they got at home, pet life, whatever it is, but just seeing how people live versus I'd say, at least, uh, you know, back at back in the day for me, I think we've been like, oh, well, getting to know your co-workers meant, um, you know, drinks after work. And I think that can be a bit of a, a lubricated, <laughs> very narrow view of what a relationship should be with someone. Uh, so. No, I mean, I think that in so many ways, this is like a very refreshing step forward. And especially sitting here as a working mom, it's a wonderful step forward. And it doesn't mean it doesn't have complexities and things that we're going to work through as society and culture. But I just think this concept, this veneer, this false veneer of professionalism, I think professionalism is your integrity, how you conduct business, how much you follow through, how great your ideas are, how trustworthy you are, how well you deliver. That's professionalism. It's not the look and the feel. Yeah. I'm going to ask you a question. I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit here. So hopefully I don't get myself in trouble. I, I know that it's impossible to give a truly scientific answer to this, but so it's going to be, I'll, I'll put the disclaimer up for you. This thread, if you're willing to answer it theoretically, a, uh, just your opinion. You talk to a ton of entrepreneurs, whether you do them for your personal network, whether you're talking to your podcast, whether you talk to them through entrepreneurs you might be chatting with through your private equity fund or through your fund. In your opinion, what percentage of, of founders seem to lack empathy skills. I'd be interested to get your take on that. To be honest, very, very few. And here, here's the thing. I think empathy is a skill that's important for all types of life, not just for founders. And so keep in mind, we're at Inspired. We focus, we back seed and series A founders all across the country on more generalist funds. We back any idea. And I think by the time that we're really vetting you and getting to know you and working with you, I want to like, point out that those founders, by the time that they're getting to us, have done something successful. And I think it's really hard to be successful in life and have no empathy for others. That's a fair point. It's not to say that you can't be, but I think that's the ab. Empathy simply is you care about other people. People feel it. You recognize that other people have different perspectives and are coming for a different place. And, and you have an emotional response to the well-being of another person. Mm -hmm. If you don't have empathy, it's really hard to go very far because people yeah. don't trust you. People don't want to work with you. People don't like you. And so, listen, you can have little amounts of empathy and huge amounts of empathy. Some people are exceptionally empathetic, but it's very rare that I see somebody with no empathy. I wonder if this is just because of the 
sheer positive energy that you project, uh, frankly. And I mean, that is the highest compliment. I think the kind of people that I tend to see it with, and I, I hate I hate to stereotype here, but sometimes I, I run into folks that are maybe have had a lot of success in the corporate world. They want to jump over to uh, being an entrepreneur or starting their own business. And typically they've never had any failure in their life. And and there's a certain level of arrogance there that that keeps them in some kind of bubble. Uh, you know, where I think they have low empathy. And sometimes I see it, and, I, and again, I hate to stereotype here, but sometimes with some kind of like engineering-led uh, CEOs, maybe where their where their roles and different, or even their life experiences was not always socially engaging with people. And sometimes I see that kind of stuff. But I do agree. I think it's in the first minority uh, because I do think it's really hard to get ahead and be a, a, a serious, um, serious leader, um, you know, without having that. I also just think, we've all been through a lot this last year, right? Like it's pretty hard not to have empathy for like a fellow human after 600,000 COVID deaths, this truly like watching the world go to an actual stop. Every one of us has been stressed at home. We've been worried for our, our, our elderly parents, all of us. And I just think it's been really hard not to be human led in the last year because there's not one of us, not including you or I, who hasn't been exceptionally stressed out this last year or really at a point where, you know, you were coming to your own breaking point because of X, Y or Z. And those literally span from health issues to the financial markets and tailspin, business challenges to just the how do you take care of your family and protect your family worries. It's been a crazy year. And I again, I think I'm a human first. I'm a parent uh, first, I'm a CEO, I'm a founder second. And I just think that's a really important perspective of how to think about how you lead and how you go forward. And again, this last year, I think it's pretty hard not to be somebody who <laughs> recognizes that like none of us are infallible. In fact, yeah. that's another big perspective of my 30s that I, I was learning in my 20s is if I thought I was going to know all the answers and or not be, you know, make big mistakes and I'm an idiot. Yeah. This has been great, by the way. I'm going to change gears for a second. So, you know, after listening, uh, reading your articles, listening to you speak, you clearly have a passion for the English language. I'd love to know what's what's your favorite word. It's actually really funny, but we have a favorite word, and for each people who take care of our children, have a favorite word. Okay. And husband's favorite word is patience. As you can imagine, I'm an entrepreneur. I do not have a lot of it, so he has to like really instill it in our kids. Uh, my favorite word is love. And if you and then my second favorite word is hard work. And if you ask all of my children, what's mommy's favorite word? And they will they will say love. The second favorite word is hard work. And those are two values that I hope I impart on my kids, which is unconditional love is absolutely critical for our well-being. And then hard work is my second. I love that. I, I can't help but imagine this same kind of spirit of energy that you bring to your kids. Like you said, your your moment, moment of parent first carries over to your fund and it's how you interact with uh the, the big kids out there as well. So since we're going to be brought up kids, I'm intrigued. What were you like as a kid? You know, it's amazing. So I'm very fortunate to have a lot of best friends that I've had for 25, 35 years. I don't think I am that different. And, and, and they would tell you that I came out of the womb. I used to wake my mom up at five o'clock in the morning. One of my children does this to me today. And it's just, I'm like, God, paybacks, a real B-I-T-C-H. I wake up, I used to wake up and be like, what's on the agenda? What are we doing? Where are we going? What's the plan? Tons of spunk and true zest for life. 
pretty fearless out of the gate. And I think my older brother, uh, Travis, now sees my little girl, uh, Rosie, who's two, who will just go straight to the top of like the entire playset where like she doesn't know how to do anything and can fall off. And he's like, that was you. Like, so I think fearless, zest for life, pretty spunky, pretty energetic, relatively, you know, disciplined and hardworking. And just really love to build. So the other thing, I love to build things. I love to build like arts and crafts. And I, I didn't have a lemonade stand. I was like selling stuff off my parents' walls that I put on the front porch. And like <laughs> they were not happy about some of those times where I just loved projects and activities and building. And it was just really an incessant energy. And then finally I recognized, I was like, I like to build businesses. And once I could focus it, it, it like, clicked and it just, I felt in my lane, I felt at peace. And I credit my husband a lot to like helping constantly. He was my boyfriend back in the day. He was just like, you come alive in these environments. And so I got really fortunate that it it worked out. On the side note, I, I was hoping in that story that you were going to tell me that your your first words were love or hard work. I mean, like, that's amazing. It's like so consistent. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was far from love. <laughs> <laughs> it's like six months straight straight in there. That's amazing. So uh, this this has been a really uh, you know inspiring, no pun intended, well maybe a little pun intended uh, uh, story. I think with some folks, uh, you know, I think they're going to approach this question in in one way. But your your answer, I'm particularly uh, keen to hear. If you could go back and give anyone advice to you know go down the path that you've taken, is there is there any guidance you could give people? Uh, it's a really simple, I would say, aperture for which I think about life, which is this isn't the dress rehearsal. You only do this once. We get one chance, one, to live the life you want to. What do you really have to lose? I mean, it's relatively simple, actually. There was a psychology study when I, I was undergrad. I worked in the happiness lab and they would take 90-year-olds and have them look back at their life and they never regretted things that they did. They always regretted the swings that they didn't take, the time at bat that they didn't go for, the girl they didn't tell they loved, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. None of the other stuff matters. So it's pretty simple. You only get to live once, go for it. There's a great uh, saying, I actually, it's so funny you should say this because i that's my header in my Facebook page. And I think it's something to the effect of like, you know, uh, like if your life, if you uh, you only do it once, but if you if you do it well, once is enough. Um, and so I think uh, that's a uh, great great words to live by. Uh, again, we, it seems like you and you and I have, think about the world in a lot of the same ways. So I love that. You know, we've never had a chance to meet in person, but I do hope that uh, you know now that things are cooling down and the world's getting a little bit more normal. Uh, hopefully, when I'm up your way, we'll be able to get together. So I, I want to thank you for coming on OSHIP. Uh, we're going we're to end a, a little earlier today uh, just to make sure we get everything uh, on time. For those of you who watch the show and like seeing you actively chat away and chat, thank you for contributing. Thanks for asking your questions, whether you're tuning in on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, LinkedIn, any of the different streams. We appreciate you watching. If you're watching the show uh, after the stream, the best thing you can do to support us is give us a like, share us, spread the good word. Uh, again, OSHIP is something we do just, just for fun and, and just to try and inspire other leaders and entrepreneurs out there. So uh, this is a, a great a great feel-good episode, and I think everyone will, uh, could use a little cheer of their life, so please share it with them. Alexa, uh, thanks again for coming in, and uh, thanks, everyone, for watching on this week's OSHIP. 
The O Ship Show is brought to you by Chameleon Collective, where we lead, scale, and adapt to build and grow great companies. You can learn more at chameleoncollective.com. Freddie will see you next time when we will once again be raising the sails for the O Ship Show.